we can help you. We have a lot of tools in our toolbox. We can optimize and help optimize your hormones and your sexual function and your urinary function and help you have children. So you just have to find someone who can have some of those more detailed conversations, but we can help you and therefore there's hope. And a lot of it starts with you and the choices you make on a daily basis. And that's gonna put you on the best path. You're gonna remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? We are super excited to have Dr. Amy Perlman on the show. She's a men's sexual health specialist and board certified urologist specializing in, you say it, what type of reconstruction? Genitourinary. And you have, we've been trying to get on for a while now. Uh, she has a, a amazing resume here. Um, I, I don't want to go through it because I want to go through, I hope you don't mind, all the stories and reasons that we couldn't make this happen. But let's just start off with your day. What was your day like today? My day was awesome. And I actually just got home. So let's see. I I got up a little bit on the later side today. I think I got up at like 5.30 in the morning. Okay. I did a little bit of work because I'm most productive first thing in the morning. And then I got on my stationary bike and did only 15 minutes, but just enough to get the body moving and the heart rate going. I went to work. I had, we had a faculty meeting, which those are always interesting and exciting and entertaining uh, from seven to eight. And then I had some meetings. So actually I recently went to one of the prisons nearby to check out their facility and to actually meet with some of their healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're trying to figure out a better way to collaborate with the prison system because we do see a lot of the incarcerated patients. And we just want to make sure that we're taking good care of them and treating them as people, as patients, you know, within our, within our healthcare system. So I had a meeting about that and then I got to operate, which is uh, one of the more fun things I get to do in my job. I removed an implant and I placed a penile implant. Just let that marinate. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot here. There's a a lot here. So. We're going to go back in a second, but you removed, may I ask the age of this patient? Are you allowed to tell me the age of the patient? I would say in general, the guys that I place implants are mid to late forties. And usually those are guys who tend to have more medical problems, which Uh, is why they require, you know, a penile implant earlier on in their lives. It's usually the the guys with type 1 diabetes. Type uh, 1 diabetes is a real dare to treat. And so that's where we see actually guys coming in earlier with more severe erectile dysfunction. 
In general though, most of the guys that I put implants in are 50s to 80s. You know, some guys will say uh, in their 80s or you know late 70s, am I, am I too old doc for an implant? And, and my response is, if not now, when? So as long as that person is safe enough for surgery, uh, age really plays much less of a factor. Okay, understood. All right, so now let, let's go back. We recapped your day. Um, I know much like your sister, I'm, I'm, I know that you're into fitness and wellness, and I want to hear about that. But let's start off. What made you to decide to go into this, this specific piece of the field? When we go through medical school, we have all these different rotations that we go on. And, and I was towards the end where I had to make a decision. And I met with one of my mentors who was an emergency medicine physician. And he asked me, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I told him, I was like, I enjoyed all my rotations. And he said, that wasn't my question. And for some reason, this was exactly what I needed to hear at this point in time in my career progression. It, um, it was what did I want to do, not necessarily what did I like to do. And I was deciding between emergency medicine, pediatrics, and urology. All very different fields. I liked pediatrics because I like children. I liked emergency medicine because I felt like I was a valuable member of the team. And I liked urology because I like talking about sex and I like operating and I like the personality of other urologists. And uh, where I currently am in terms of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, I treat quality of life concerns affecting everyday men. I specialize in sexual health. So for the most part with what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, people chose to be there. They are asking for my help. They chose to be in the office. And oftentimes they're asking for whether it's a, you know, just some education or a medication or advice on lifestyle modification or surgery. And I like empowering people to make good decisions for themselves. But, you know, when it comes to sexual health um, and just in terms of careers in general, you kind of think about what do you want to talk about all day long and who, what types of conversations do you want to have a, on a daily basis? And I like talking about sexual health and I get paid to do it and for the most part respected to do it. And that's like a that's like a triple whammy. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. And so what are you do, dealing directly with patients that are having uh, obviously hormonal issues or hormonal challenges, meaning or tes uh, testosterone or T replacement and things of that nature as well? Absolutely. Okay. When in general, in terms of the conditions that I treat, uh, we kind of put them under these S's of men's health, which we came up with. So sex, streams, steroids, sperm, sleep, size, screening, you can it kind of the list keeps going on. But one of those is steroids. And you know, that includes testosterone concerns, testosterone <clears throat> deficiency. What I've learned over the last few years is that hormones are incredibly important in every living being. And unfortunately, when it comes to testosterone, testosterone got a really bad reputation. It's a very taboo topic. You mentioned testosterone to most people and they'll say, you know, steroids, uh, people wanting to build muscle and, and body builds. And yeah, that's part of it, but that's not what I'm doing in my clinic. I am treating real men with real hormonal problems who have real symptoms. And in a lot of those guys, when you actually optimize their hormones, their lives change. Yeah. It's my most favorite condition to treat because I can help a lot of people with a simple therapy. Understood. And I'm imagining, I think that 
we need to go into this. I think maybe the general public doesn't understand how detrimental it can be to have low testosterone. And can we go into like what the the backlash or the negative effects could be to having low testosterone and then maybe some of the contributors that may cause low testosterone? Testosterone plays a really important role in all, in all aspects of health. And what we know about low testosterone is that low testosterone is actually a risk factor for heart disease. Now, a few years ago, there was research published in very well-known journals that said that putting people on testosterone increased risk for cardiovascular events. The problem is that those research studies, despite being published in those well-respected journals, was never designed to detect for things like heart attack and stroke. And that's where a lot of the problems lie. So more and more research has come out over the last five to 10 years that shows that testosterone is actually important for bone health. So like strength of our bone density, mm -hmm. for example. It's, it can actually help anemia, so low blood counts. Now, I don't typically see guys in my office because they're concerned about low blood counts, but they might have fatigue or symptoms associated with low blood counts, and that might be you know, from, let's say, something like testosterone, or putting them on testosterone can help with that. Now, it's equivocal. It's sort of unsure whether or not putting someone on testosterone can help with erectile function or libido, but I see that. I mean, even if the research doesn't tell us it's a slam dunk, I see it all the time that testosterone therapy can help with those two mm -hmm. things. And actually more and more research is coming out to say that testosterone can help with various aspects of metabolic syndrome. It can help with sugar control or glucose control. It can help with uh, weight loss, um, with blood pressure. And, and all of those factors play a role when it comes to metabolic syndrome and overall health. Mm -hmm. Understood. And then, you know, what I also see too, which is not well established in the research, is I see a lot of guys who have various types of chronic pain. And I see a lot of guys who get benefit with testosterone in terms of their, let's say, joint pain or, or chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And then just in terms of cognition. So even though the research doesn't tell us that testosterone therapy helps with cognition, I do see it, not all the time, but in enough patients for me to know that testosterone can play a role in improving things like brain fog. Understood. And I know that it's such a broad spectrum of, of, of people who have maybe issues with testosterone, but can't testosterone at times, I know it's so tricky to, uh, to phrase it this way, but maybe be fixed with better diet, just hitting the weights in general, better quality sleep. I know that when I get real great sleep, uh, you know, over the course of a week, I feel like Superman. I mean, it can be fixed with a lot of things that when you see a patient, do you say, hey, what's your diet like? What's your sleep like? And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming your thoughts. Yeah, so I absolutely agree with you. And, um, and while I do put a lot of guys on testosterone therapy, I always talk about the nutrition and exercise and sleep aspects because those are the guys who really benefit the most when they're already going to the gym and they're already working on their nutrition and they still have low testosterone concerns. But when, so when I treat them, then, you know, they can really get, uh, get significant results, but it's hard to get the good results. If someone's not eating well and they're not sleeping, testosterone doesn't fix all of that. So it is one piece of the puzzle, 
But in general, you know, uh, a big reason why so many guys these days have low testosterone is from obesity. It's this whole inflammatory cascade. It increases obesity, increases risk for sleep apnea. Sleep apnea and sleep disturbances can lead to low testosterone. And so, you know, a, a big way that people can boost their own body's ability to produce testosterone is with weight loss for those who are overweight. Understood. And what... Can you talk to us about the healthy brackets of like what is low testosterone? What is what is considered low testosterone? And then we, I guess we have to go through age groups because, you know, I remember being in the gym and a young man who was 27 years old said, yeah, I'm, I'm taking testosterone. And I, I thought he was, you know, 20 years old. He said, I'm 27. I said, well, why are you taking testosterone? He said, well, I have really low testosterone. I mean, he didn't – later on in the conversation, he talked about he smoked very – you know, massive amounts of marijuana, he didn't sleep well, he was partying, he ate like crap, and, you know, he didn't want to address any of those things, so he just skipped it and took testosterone. Yeah. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> you, were, you were thinking, wow, that he was really messed up, and he was really messed up. But, um, I was thinking about well, the marijuana part. Was, like, <laughs> is it necessary for a young man to take testosterone? I think... Like, what would the bracket be? And at one point, a doctor told me the, you know, 250 to 1250, right? And under 250, it's unhealthy. But if you're 250 and you're 27 years old, you probably have low testosterone, right? So you're absolutely right. And that's where it gets tricky because when you look at the reference range, well, it varies depending on what test the lab is using. Mm -hmm. And it varies depending on where the person is getting it done. Those reference ranges are going to be different. Mm -hmm. Some labs I've seen normal as being like 195 to 850 wow. and other labs will say 249, you know, to another number. And so it's a wide range. And just because, you know, I could see someone with, let's say, a testosterone of 300 or 250, and maybe they don't have any symptoms. Maybe they're doing awesome. And I also see guys who, let's say, have testosterone levels of 400, and they feel better when they're on testosterone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that reference range is large. In terms of our, we have national guidelines from our American Neurological Association, and we use 300 as somewhat of an arbitrary cutoff, especially for research studies. We need some cutoff to, you know, say when we're considering people as having low testosterone. But, you know, also free testosterone is going to be a relevant factor in some cases because testosterone is around in our body and our bloodstream. And when it's tightly bound to protein, it is not usable in the body. Okay, so that's where the bioavailable testosterone, the loosely bound testosterone and the free testosterone, that's actually what's available to act on the cells in our body. So even though we look at the total testosterone, it's really not that simple. And also depends on our testosterone receptors, which we're not routinely testing for. So also when it comes to the reference ranges, they're not age-based. So you're right. A 27-year-old, if he had a testosterone of 250 or 300 or even 350, which is technically above that normal range, I would consider that low, but we just don't have those age-based ranges. Understood. Understood. And I guess with the, let's go to the other side of the scale or, or the bracket, meaning is it possible to take too much? I'm assuming yes. I mean, I've seen men in there, you know, mid fifties taking a lot of testosterone and they're crazy active. And it's like, dude, you, there's a reason for that. It's not just because you're hitting the gym. It's because your testosterone is 2,500. I mean, that's, 
might not be healthy. Am I wrong? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's all the above. And that's why people get so nervous about testosterone. That's why, you know, there's some healthcare providers who love treating guys with low T and there are others that say, no, I'm worried I'm going to kill someone if I put them on testosterone. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's when we hear about bodybuilders who sometimes drop dead mm -hmm. and they've been using a lot of these, you know, substances. And the reality is when we think about bodybuilders and the amount that a lot of bodybuilders will use, it is way higher the dose than I would use in clinical practice. In fact, it might be even 10 times the dose of, of what I would use in clinical practice. And it's not even just like the testosterone level itself, but it's the downstream effects of having a very high testosterone level. Some testosterone will get converted to estrogen. So as we were discussing before, you have estrogen in your body. And the way that you get estrogen is from its conversion from testosterone. So when you drive up the testosterone level to a really high number, that person's going to have higher estrogen levels. And that can cause all these bothersome symptoms like breast tenderness, breast swelling, fluid retention, mood changes. Um, and then we talk about it in women is this theory, is this risk of, you know, having clots or cardiovascular events when the estrogen level is too high. And so that could also be possible in men. So it's really these downstream effects of what a high testosterone does to other areas of the body. Testosterone also can make the blood really thick called polycythemia, and that can be dangerous and cause symptoms as well. So the major difference, I use a lot of similar medications that a bodybuilder would use, but the doses are drastically different. Understood. And I think it's it's safe to say that when you hear stories or unfortunate stories of fatalities in regards to bodybuilding or performance athletes, you know, testosterone may be one of the things uh, of their portfolio that they were taking, but there's also three, four, five other things that are incredibly dangerous that no one should be taking and aren't general uh, uh, prescriptions used for, for general health. They're just not. Um, but I think people may sometimes make testosterone out to be the bad guy, so to speak. Does that make sense? Correct. It's testosterone, but then all the other things that some mm -hmm. folks take. Yeah. And if the bottle says not for human use or for veterinary use or for research purposes, then probably not a good thing to put in one's right. body. Understood. Now you 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 talked at the about like having a super high level of testosterone that makes the blood thick. Is is it still common practice to do the uh, basically withdrawals where you're donating blood or, or giving blood because the blood becomes so thick? There are a variety of ways that we can uh, get the blood to not be as thick. And one would be to lower the testosterone dose. We have a lot of different formulations for testosterone. I can't think of another type of therapy where there are so many ways to administer it. You can put it in the nose, in the cheek, under the tongue, as a pellet, short-acting injection, long-acting injection, patches, gels, you name it, we can administer it that way. Now, the, the formulations that are going to be at highest risk of thickening the blood are going to be the injectable medications. So we can lower the dose. There's actually recent research that came out to show that instead of injecting it intramuscularly, that putting it into fat or subcutaneously may not have as high risk of thickening the blood. Um, I do have some guys who feel great on therapy, but, and they don't wanna lower the dose or change formulation, so they'll actually donate on a regular basis. 
A lot of the guys though that I see where we drive up their hematocrit or, or the thickness of their blood, they also have sleep apnea. So I have, I have so many guys get tested for sleep apnea and started on therapy so that I can safely treat them for testosterone. Mm -hmm. If you think about, you know, the thicker neck and even in athletes, and we think about the guy with sleep apnea who has a thick neck and a big belly and snores, but I see athletes with sleep apnea. In fact, football players are like four to five times higher risk of having sleep apnea. So as soon as I see that blood getting thicker, either before I start testosterone or during therapy, I send all those guys to get tested. Understood. Because sleep apnea drives that up as well. Got it. Got it. So, uh... Speaking now, let's talk about the negative effects to even taking prescribed level, levels of testosterone or taking higher levels of testosterone. We've hit on a few of them, but I've seen people's bodies go from completely out of shape, and it's it's my business. That's what I do every day. It's very easy to look at a body once you've been in the field and you study the science. You can look at someone who's consumes a lot of carbs. And it's just that it doesn't have a, a great diet. You can see someone's body massively change from super soft to super hard and super lean in a very short amount of time. It's very likely that they're taking something in regards to the performance enhancing uh, realm. So if someone, I, I, I think I'm alluding to this doctor because sometimes people aren't aware that when they're taking these things that they, are, they do have a short fuse. They get frustrated or irritated easily, and they don't understand why. Could you please uh, explain? Some people are just very sensitive to their hormones. And part of, you know, when we put people on testosterone is I always monitor their estrogen levels. So whenever they're coming in for a follow-up, uh, at least, you know, three months after I start them on therapy, and then if they're doing fine, I might check it in a year. But... Um, if the estrogen levels are too high, that can cause mood changes and irritability. So that might be a reason actually to check their estrogen level. And if it's high, then either go down on their testosterone dose or add an estrogen blocker to you know lower that level a little bit. Estrogen can make people feel great, but also when it's too high can cause you know those annoying and irritable uh, mood changes. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of, you know, other things that we have to consider is I always ask myself whenever I see, you know, a lot of my patients is how can I hurt this person? Not because I want to hurt them, but because I have to define that so that everything else is fair game. In fact, Mark, that's what the art of medicine is, is understanding what is the, what do the guidelines tell me? What does the research show? But what do my patients tell me and what works in clinic and combining all of those things to meet the quality of life concerns of our patients. So the ways that I can hurt, especially a young man, is if I don't ask him, are you trying to preserve current or future ability? Meaning, do you want to have a kid either now or at some point in the future? Because I think about that 27 year old and if he doesn't know that being on testosterone therapy can make him infertile, that's a problem. That is a big problem. So for guys who, let's say, you know, have low testosterone, putting them on testosterone does not make that better. There are other treatments we can do to boost that person's own ability to produce testosterone, and that can preserve fertility. But testosterone itself won't do that. When the body sees testosterone from the outside, it tells the brain to stop signaling the testicles to produce 
uh, testosterone, but also to help with sperm maturation. So that's one thing is the infertility or the fertility concern. Another way that we might, you know, hurt someone is, um, let's say, you know, if they're worried about testicular shrinkage. So they have to know, guys have to know that when we put them on testosterone, it can make the testicle shrink. And not to say that that would necessarily hurt someone, but that might be bothersome for some folks. And so we want to make sure we have that conversation. It can cause some hair loss. So it can, you know, increase hair at different parts of the body, but it can cause male pattern baldness in some folks, which might be very bothersome. The other thing too, is we have to consider that heart risk. And there are people who have various types of heart disease, but if they have something called congestive heart failure, where their heart is not pumping well, and they tend to accumulate fluid. If I put someone on testosterone, as part of, you know, when if their estrogen level goes too high, they can retain fluid. It's why, you know, some bodybuilders will take an estrogen blocker when they're trying to get rid of fluid or cut down on weight. Mm -hmm. So if I have a guy with bad heart disease that's not controlled, I can make him retain more fluid and that can be problematic for his heart and make him have to come into the hospital because he has, you know, acute on chronic heart failure. Got it. Other ways are if someone has, let's say, prostate cancer. Now we used to think, Mark, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago that, uh, that testosterone could increase risk of prostate cancer coming back in men who were treated for prostate right. cancer. Our thinking has changed. We've had a lot of research come out over the last five to 10 years that shows in the properly selected man that putting them on a testosterone despite having history of testosterone can actually be safe. But we don't want to miss that. I wanna know more about when you train guys in the gym, like what do they talk to you about? Are they asking you about hormones and sexual function and? All, all the above, I mean, um, you know, there used to be a gym and their slogan was like, look better naked. And we'd be remiss like, to not acknowledge that people want to look good, they want to feel good, and they want to like perform in life. And I think people call that superficial, and I don't think that's fair. I mean, I think it's a huge part of life, and it's an important part of life. And I'm going to be completely honest with you, with the people I've worked with in my life, you know, what we talk about obviously is completely private, but I would say a lot of them want to feel better about all the things I just mentioned. And that's, that's normal. I think anyone listening to this would say, Hey, I want to feel good like that too. And if I already feel good, I want to maintain that. Right. I think that's a big part of it. So I think training starts off as, you know, I wanted a lot of people train because they want that dopamine hit. But as you get older in life, it's like, I want to train to feel better. I want to have great cognitive function. I want to feel good when I wake up. I don't want my joints to hurt. I want to have a lot of energy. It's all about energy. You said when we first got on, you said, hey, I do the majority of my work in the morning because that's when I'm most productive. Like for me, I have to plan to be productive between like 4 and like 7 p.m. I do. And I think it's a big reason why a lot of guys come to see me for concerns about low testosterone. I mean, they need a reason to enter into the healthcare system because if that guy calls in and says, I just want to feel better, I want to look better, I want to wake up and like where my day is going and be excited about it, that person doesn't have a diagnosis. Right. So right. who's he going to see? 
So the low testosterone is this umbrella term of I want to do better, perform better, be better, feel better, and maybe I have low testosterone. But it's all the same, you know, iteration of wanting to be better. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, I'll tell you, we had this conversation yesterday with uh, a few team members. Depression isn't always, hey, I'm wearing a white suit and I'm in an institution. A depression could be not it. I don't, and I have a lot of days where I just don't want to do anything. And I'm about myself. That's the, that could be depression as well. I mean, I know it's not a diagnosed depression, certainly, but if you don't feel good for many days at a time, you could have depression. We, we forget this many different, uh, uh, areas on that spectrum of depression. So I think people want to feel their best. They want to train themselves out of it and take on great habits and improve their quality of life. I have no trouble sleeping. I guess that's my point. I mean, I sleep like a baby and, and then people say, I can't sleep. I'm like, man, I don't even understand how that's possible, but I can understand now how stress can keep people up, how anxiety can keep you up. People, when they get in their sixties or seventies and they have a life that's not as fulfilling as it used to be. I could understand how that may keep them up, but they don't feel that great. But for the most part, if you get good quality sleep, your nutrition's on point. And when I say your nutrition's on point, I'm not talking about going home and packing your meals. I'm talking about, look, I eat healthy. I eat vegetables. I eat animal protein. I don't eat a diet that's high in fat or bad fat, so to speak. And I, I have a low sugar diet. You're pretty good. I mean, that checks off a lot of boxes right there. But most people don't understand what that means. They just don't. You know, they eat a huge bowl of cold cereal and then they're, you know, snacking on the worst products in history. And they don't realize if that's your go-to and those are your go-to things, you're going to build up a pool of very, very bad blood and very bad organ function and you're in trouble. So when people say, you know, I'm really sick and I'm not as healthy as used to be, I'm 48 years old. You have a lifetime of poor habits, and they're just ticking away at you. In college, I tell this story all the time to my clients. You know, when I go through the list of what's going on with them, they say, you know, Mark, that's not it. I've been doing that my whole life. And I said, that's exactly it. I had a a college football teammate who was the best athlete on the team. He smoked cigarettes. I said, do you realize you're a Division I athlete and you smoke cigarettes? And as he was coughing, he said, it's not the cigarettes. I've been smoking cigarettes since I've been like 13 years old. And I'm thinking, you're one of the smartest guys I know. You have to understand this is, this is it, right? So it's just hard to get people to understand their reality and appreciate they, those poor habits and those poor choices over an extended period of time. It's like you know, just tapping water you know, every two seconds on your forehead. It's going to do irreversible damage. And I don't think that they understand what that means. So I think then they, they go to you and they say, Hey, you know, can you just fix me? Just put me on some, some testosterone. And now you say like testosterone is not your issue. Your habits are terrible. Yeah. You know, my goal when I first meet someone is to understand, you know, what does a typical day look like? And, and people are oftentimes caught off guard when I ask them, what do you eat during the day and how much coffee and how much tea and how much soda and when do you stop drinking coffee in the evening and uh how often do you poop (laughs) and like all those things and uh 
It matters. Mm -hmm. It affects every aspect of our body. And I will say the good news is, Mark, is the recommendations that you would provide when it comes to exercise and what we would consider to be healthy nutrition also helps with sexual function. Mm -hmm. So that's how I'm able to empower some of my, you know, patients to change behavior is I try to figure out what their why is, and then I tie their behavior into how it can improve their why. Because if any of these guys called my office, verbalized their concerns, waited for an appointment, and showed up to their appointment, it is clearly a very important factor in their life. So I go back to explaining basic structure and function. Let's talk about the penis. And I talk about the penis as a sponge. And I say, in order to get good erections, you need good blood flow into the penis and you need that blood to stay in the penis. Well, number one and number two cause of erectile dysfunction are heart disease and diabetes because they wreak havoc on the blood vessels and nerves that are responsible for those functions. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I emphasize as well is that moving our body and exercising also increases blood flow to the genital tissue. We also talk about the nitric oxide path and we think about nitric oxide as a vasodilator, you know, a lot of products as a pre-workout. Right. Well, it's the same thing for the penile tissue. We need a nitric oxide to vasodilate. And you know what nicotine does? It constricts the blood vessels. It closes them off. So even if we don't even mention higher risk of heart disease and lung cancer related to tobacco and nicotine containing products, if we talk about the blood flow issue, I'm looking for the one in 10 guy that says, doc, that's all I needed to hear. I'm not going to pick up a vape pen. Vape pens. Ooh, very, very touchy subject. I can't tell you how I'm, I'm at these dinners and out in Miami and I look and I see this person with a vape and I'm thinking, aren't you an intelligent person? Don't you understand that this is, I guess if it's kill you, there's so many other things you can die from. Like, I, I just don't understand. And if you, you know, explain it in that manner. They're going to, they want to change their life. It's got to be important enough to quit. It has to be really, but well, not everyone does it. Right. So, well, and they're just, you know, food is an addiction and poor, you know, different types of lifestyle behaviors and nicotine. I mean, they're all very addictive substances. And so, you know, I think the key part there is, um, is making all of those things less accessible and figuring out, you know, baby steps. We're looking for progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. And the only way to optimize health is to kind of make a list of all these different things we need to tackle and make, you know, these little goals, these micro goals on a, goals on a daily basis that says, okay, instead of getting the whole bag of chips or Oreos, I'm not gonna buy that. I can still eat it, but I have to go to the gas station and get it. So it makes it less accessible. Same thing with the vape pens. Same thing with just the whole household being on board. And that could be for nutrition or exercise or sexual health, whatever it is. Kind of everyone in your household will affect those daily decisions. I see a lot of um, erectile dysfunction. So whether it's not getting good erections or not being able to maintain erections, a lot of men have no idea that it could happen to them and they are 70 years old and they say you know why do i have erectile dysfunction and in part it's common as people get older over 50 percent five zero percent of men over the age of 40 will notice a drop in erectile function 
Now, do all of those people require therapy? No, not necessarily, but it's incredibly common. And with heart disease and diabetes rates going up, it's gonna be even more common. Mm -hmm. The other you know, big thing is, is people don't understand that there are so many ways that we can improve erectile function. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of guys who come in that say, I've tried Viagra and Cialis, doc, is there any hope for me? And then I bring out all of these tools and I put them on the table and I'm like, Bill, we've barely even hit the iceberg. Mm -hmm. So men don't understand that there's so many ways that we can help them. It starts with the nutrition and the exercise and we have four FDA approved medications and we have vacuum pumps and tension bands and vibrators and uh, injections and medication you can put in the urethra. And in fact, I can replace the hydraulics. I can put a penile implant in. And this guy here has an implant. Well, he also has a cock ring on, uh, but this guy has an implant. And if you, if this guy were, let's say at your gym in the locker room, standing up and showering, you would have no idea that this guy had an implant in. It is completely inside the body, nothing sticking out. There's a pump that sits in between the testicles that he would pump up to get an erection. It's insane. Mark, how long do you think this device has been out for? My guess is, I want to say, because of the way you phrased that question, I'll say it's been out for, let's say, 20 years. 50 years, Mark. 50 Why years. doesn't every single man know about these treatment options? Because they're scared. Because they're no one's insecure. talking about it. I mean, I they're think insecure. you, Mark, have an incredible opportunity to spread yeah. the gospel, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, guys, most guys, only a minority of men will ever show up in a clinic like mine. Oh, and there sure. are men everywhere, for you sure. know? So figuring out like all of these doors that are, are ways that we can educate men. And it doesn't mean that every dude needs to see someone like me, but every dude needs to be educated on his body, you know, and all the different treatment options. So yeah, this device has been out for forever and most men are shocked. They think it's, it was, it's like the newest, you know, greatest thing that was invented like two years ago. And it's simply not the case. Oh, it's the other thing that shocks a lot of guys when it comes to sexual function is that uh, orgasms will change throughout the lifetime. And, you know, I think earlier on, the sense that I get from younger men is it's kind of like an all or nothing thing. Like it, it kind of feels similar or it's like if they, if someone orgasms, like it's a very obvious thing, but as men get older, it takes longer to get an erection. It's more difficult to maintain the erection. There's a longer period of time that's required in between getting erections. Uh, orgasms can change and ejaculate can change, but nobody's taught that information. So a lot of guys will come in to say, my sensation in my penis isn't as great. It's more difficult to achieve an orgasm or my ejaculate volume is less. And while some of those things will be due to age, it could also be due to different procedures we do on those organs, or also a lot of medications that we put people on can actually affect those functions. The other thing that people are shocked about is that you know the erectile dysfunction piece, because of all the different treatment options I have, that's one of the easier things that actually I treat in my clinic because of all, because of all the tools. But what happens in guys when they're no longer getting daily regular erections is the penis gets smaller, it gets thinner, it gets shorter. 
And even though a lot of guys are not necessarily coming to me with that concern, once I bring it up, they're like, oh yeah, my penis is definitely getting smaller. So what all men need to know is that erections are good for the penis. Getting them daily is good for the penis. And it's not to say that that person has to have sex or put penis in vagina or masturbate every single day, but it means that like any other part of the body, right? If you're lifting biceps on a consistent basis and then one of your clients stops lifting weights for six months, when he, when he comes back in and says, my muscles are not as big, what would you tell that person? Well, I mean, you, you gotta get back to training, no? Yeah, exactly. So nobody's surprised when their muscles get smaller, when they're not consistently working out, but men are shocked when their penis gets smaller, when it hasn't been erect in several years. Mm -hmm. So going back to that analogy of the sponge, if I were to put this sponge under the faucet and wring it out and say, I'll see you back in six months or a year, Mark, what does this sponge look like? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Gone, it might be gone. Like old and crusty, right? Mm -hmm. And if I put it back under the faucet after that period of time, it will expand a little bit, but not like it did a year ago. So the purpose of getting that regular blood flow in the penis is like putting a sponge under the faucet every day. And even if it's just for 30 seconds, it's keeping up the health of the tissue. Understood. Understood. That's a great lesson for us. A uh, great lesson. The other thing that I want to add to is please, when please. it comes to um, gaining weight. So that can also be a reason why the functional length of the penis gets smaller. In fact, some guys, when they gain significant weight over top of their penis, like in that mons or super pubic region, mm -hmm. it can bury the penis where that person might not even be able to see his penis. So excess fat on top of the pubic bone can bury inches of the penis. And that might be an incentive for some people you know, to, to do what they can to try to lose weight so that they can have a longer functional penis. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if that doesn't wake you up and get you motivated, I don't know what will. Um, <laughs> can you? Okay. I, I've taken up a lot of your time. That was amazing. I feel like I got the crash course of my life. Um, can you give us maybe two or three takeaways? And I know you have over the course of the show that are super important for men to stay consistent with that maybe a, a couple that they're doing or in a couple that we've maybe never heard of, like what are the essentials to maintain optimal or our very best uh, sexual health? I'm so glad you asked that and that we're ending on this okay. note. So dear men, dear guys, dudes, Billy Bob, <laughs> whatever you call yourself, you have incredible control over your health. You do. Um, there are plenty of things that I can treat in the office, but you have incredible control over your sexual health, your heart health, your urinary health, every aspect of your body. And it starts with good nutrition and exercise. Whatever is good for the heart is good for the genital parts. And if you keep that in mind, you're gonna be on an awesome path. For guys who need help, and that is common as people get older, I also want you to know we can help you. We have a lot of tools in our toolbox. We can optimize and help optimize your hormones and your sexual function and your urinary function and help you have children. So you just have to find someone who can have some of those more detailed conversations, but we can help you and therefore there's hope. And a lot of it starts with you and the choices you make on a daily basis. And that's going to put you on the best path. 
Awesome. Awesome. That was incredible. I can't thank you enough. I think you're going to get an influx of patients after this air experiment. <laughs> I hope you're prepared for it. But really, thank you so much. Is there anything, can you plug, would you like to plug your social media or where you can be reached, where you can be found, anything you want to speak to to get the awareness out there? I love to educate people just for the sake of education, whether or not you decide to see me in clinic or not. So I have a pretty robust YouTube page. If you just search my name, Amy Perlman on YouTube, a lot of educational videos there. Uh, whenever I finish a visit with someone, if I say, Bob, what questions do you have? And if he doesn't have questions, he, I really didn't explain it in a way that he understood. So a lot of those videos are giving people basic knowledge they can ask their healthcare provider questions. Um, I, let's see, I'm on Twitter if you search my name and Instagram, but I would say the main uh, touch point would be on YouTube. And then I have a website with my twin sister where we talk about some of the nutrition and exercise, mindfulness and sexual health aspects. And that's PerlmanMDs.com. Understood. Understood. All right. That was incredible. I cannot thank you enough. Thank you very much. Once again, uh, we're going to have to work out some sort of referral rate because there's going to be a, a lot of Miami people heading your way. Miami is a highly trafficked area for this. Believe me, it is. It's a wild, I call it the wild, wild west. But <laughs> thank you so much. Be sure to uh, stop by with your sister uh, when you're in town so you can say hello. And uh, thank you so much for making time to be on. Really appreciate it. Happy to be here. All right.